Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? My name is Eric, and lagging behind is Michael Kester. Hi, I'm here. I'm happy to lag. Nobody, nobody can tell. No. Because I painstakingly brush the lag out of the show. Yeah, and it just makes for a more fluid conversation when we're just waiting for each other to finish speaking. Oh my God, it's awful. <laughs> yeah, it's like we never left Chicago. It's like we've been in the same room this whole time, thanks to painstaking editing. We have a show today with two movies, and I have been putting off talking to you about one of these movies, and then the other one fell off my radar, and you were like, no, fuck you, put it on the radar. Yeah. And uh, I just have to give you full-out credit for this theme, the show, the whole thing going on today. Hopefully people saw the movies. What are the movies? The movies today, do you have an order that you would like to do them in? Yeah, let's let's... Pather first. Okay, so the the movies we are covering today are Pather Panchali and Kajillionaire, respectively directed by you ready by Achajit Pai. Oh my god! And Miranda July. Man, I couldn't even get through the first word of the first movie without giving it the most southern twang, <laughs> midwestern, Pather. Minnesota fucking Pather Panchali. That Wisconsin, <laughs> that uh, one hour from the border of Wisconsin accent yeah. came out. Yeah, it was miserable, miserable. <laughs> Pother Pin, Pinchali, Pinchali, fuck. I'm totally fucked. It's, you know, really a lot of times it's just trying that counts when it comes to things like that. <laughs> Are you saying I should start trying? That might help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, we're, we're doing these movies today. We're dealing with... Um, Various shades of poverty and how that affects families. That's sort of like the that's the downer version uh-huh. of what we're talking about today. I'm not sure what the like the positive upside is. There may not be one, so maybe all. Oh downer. man, I think there's totally a positive upside. Yeah, which is you know I'd say this almost reads like one of those episodes. I mean, okay, we have uh, the first installment of the Apu trilogy, which also. Mm-hmm. I'm pronouncing way too Minnesota. There's no getting around this. And the third installment of the July trilogy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but you know, you put it up next to Kajillionaire and like one is very, um, you know, it's very brutal 50s, black and white, important criterion, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cinema, it's capital C cinema. Yeah. And then when you see the sort of like fucking Hulu cover, Kajillionaire, Millennial. <laughs> you know, it's got like a, a paper plate of saltines behind her head. It's sort of like the joke of it rings, you know? The joke yes. of it is just sort of like, oh yeah, look at this representation. But I think when you really watch them back to back, I don't want to fucking cut to the end and spoil everything here, but it's remarkable how sincerely they kind of talk about the same thing. Mm-hmm. And they do it in very different ways. And you would never really think to compare these two movies outside of if they're right. If somebody was really like, man, you know what I saw yesterday that reminded me of this? Yeah. But yeah, I, I think um, 
And, you know, really, like, I credit that to Kajillionaire for how we've laid this out on the show because that was, I didn't think Kajillionaire was going to uh, have that kind of sincere read to it. Yes. So I was really, I think that's kind of the positive spin on this is that it kind of, uh, I laughed at the joke of this show and then I watched the two together and went, no, this is just a great way to talk about this. Right. So happy when that, uh, when that works out. So we've got, we've got two, two conversations about poverty today. Third conversation about poverty starts at patreon.com forward slash double feature. Our poor little show. Uh, that we're just trying to keep alive. We're trying to we're trying to feed it vegetables from the neighboring podcasts, <laughs> just to sustain it. And uh, you, if you could just kick a few radishes into our basket over on Patreon.com forward slash double feature. I love this. I love this whole thing you're building here. This is great. Then hopefully we can move out of the sudsy walls of our studio and into somewhere with a little bit more uh, quality construction. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Kajillionaire is a pretty weird movie, but our podcast definitely takes place inside the cinematic universe of that <laughs> of that film. Like when they get kicked out of that place, we move in to record there, you know? Yes, right. Yeah, right. and we, we want you guys to be part of this. I mean, if you casually listen to the show, you're not on the Patreon, you're enjoying being introduced to all of these weird... Uh, I feel like both of these movies are a bit of a deep reach and different ends of... of mm-hmm cinema and uh i'm banning the word cinema for the rest of the show by the way I yeah just you feel just like <laughs> overused it but yeah I, I feel like we've gone in some pretty different directions and if people discovered at least one movie on the show and are thankful for it we want you to come join up be on the patreon contribute uh some of your thoughts to what we're doing with the show and kind of steer the direction of where this uh where this ship is going so patreon.com forward slash double feature. Before I ask you about this goddamn movie, let's do a log line. Let's start out uh, really on the rails here. Okay, cool. So uh, an Indian family, um, rural Indian family struggles to make ends meet as uh, the children grow up and take on the rest of the world of the existence of the world, the other factors of life. Yeah. All sort of takes place in this, in this sort of homestead, not quite a house, not quite a home, not quite a village. Yeah. And this wasn't a terribly uncommon, I think I'd made a joke about, um, Oh, Hazar Balthazar. Is that the name of that fucking movie? You know, this is mid 1950s. I want to say, and we have this this kind of body of work that is about the hardships of the time. So that's that's very straightforward, very logline, and kind of of the time. But nothing in this movie really reads like, oh yeah, like this, this is just 1950s. normal. Yeah, like this is just normal <laughs> stuff we're doing. So this is yeah. another great case where like here's the logline, so you know what this movie's about. But it's and that is the heart of what it's about. But it's the how it's about it on this one mm -hmm. and I want to get to that but I just have to I, I get to finally have this conversation with you which is like what's up with you in this movie <laughs> um, yeah so this is many people who are not uh, me or you this is a movie that I basically throw out in every pair list or film list of things I want to cover on the show and we always end up coming up with other ideas or not being able to pair it with the right thing and it comes down to um 
I, you know, everything, literally everything on this fucking earth anymore just reaches my point of consumption through listicles. Mm. And there was some stupid fucking listicle that was fed to me through the algorithm and it was along the lines of and as soon as i tell you this list exists like i like how you talk about the algorithm like it's something from the matrix or something you're just like ah the algorithm no i mean it's like it's like how how people from 2000 talked about the year 2040 (laughs) no when i say the algorithm i mean the the places i've visited that have sold my information to people who want (laughs) to feed me information that's the algorithm the data brokers told you to watch this yeah so there's an article that exists um, that as soon as I tell you it exists, you're going to be really hungry. The most influential director in every country in the world. That article exists. And, uh, you know, being one of the two hosts of Double Feature, my immediate reaction is, okay, what country haven't we covered and who should we cover from that country? Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the most part, it's not surprising. And we've covered a lot of them. But then I got to India and I went, okay, so first of all, I don't know who Ajajit Pai is. And this article claims he is one of the best directors of all time approaching Kurosawa. Don't don't even, let's leave that alone for now. Um, <laughs> Which, by the way, just quick aside, <laughs> the Patreons are saying Kurosawa journey next year. Yeah. I hear great. that over and over and over. But uh, we also don't have a lot of uh, India on the show as far as like movies made in India. Yeah. And so it just, you know, that's how I found the movie as I sought it out. It's also, if you tell me trilogy, you know, I'm on board. So I watched it and it just sort of blew my mind. And then, but it's like you mentioned at the top of the show, it's, it's such a packed movie that it feels it's, it's very easy to feel like you're doing it a disservice if you pair it incorrectly. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it wasn't until I, finally sat down and watched Kajillionaire that I went, this is it, we've got it. But it's a movie much like our discussion about Citizen Kane where you're watching, I just watched this movie and like at least once every 10 minutes go 19 fucking 50s, huh? Oh, I know, I know, yeah. (laughs) Where shows become more and more aware of like what was going on in the 50s. Yeah. And uh, in America, not this movie. Right. <laughs> and so I think it was conscious shocking for a lot of people who saw it, even years and years later. I mean, I, you know, I wanted to be really casual about my pronunciation of all this stuff and not like over prepare myself because I did think for as much as you have ramped up to pitch this movie harder and harder, I wanted to keep the perspective of someone who felt kind of like, not necessarily alienated by this, but sort of like, I've never heard of this. I don't know what this is. Maybe it's not for me. Mm -hmm. And of course, like every goddamn movie on this show, you know, I see it and I'm like, oh yeah, I totally get this. Like, why haven't I seen this sooner? Blah, blah, blah. But I think a lot of people, you know, I don't know, maybe they skipped this uh, part of the show, but maybe they didn't watch the movie. And maybe they're um, they're just kind of scratching their head at this. Maybe this isn't, you know, something that's, maybe they didn't see the list you did. <laughs> and so I kind of wanted to talk about, I mean, I wanted to do what our shows always tried to do and cut through some of the pretension and get to like, okay, well, what's really going on here? Rather than just join the club of people who are like, oh, of course, this is totally important, profound cinema. And we've all known that this whole time. I wanted to really keep my fresh uh, eyes here. Yeah. 
But I also thought I get a little more, you know, how my background with the last couple of years has been. I'm still like trying to free myself of uh, corporate America. I'm afraid of ruffling feathers. I don't, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm still being too diplomatic in how I talk. And I feel like you're pretty good at like cutting straight to it without being afraid of what (laughs) what people think. So I kind of wanted to get your read on like, what is it that hits you about this film, just frankly? Oh, I mean, it, to me, it, it really just comes down to like, you watch this movie, dude, and you're just like, you know, think about, you You mentioned um, when we were back in Chicago, and I think about this all the time, because like when, when I was back in Chicago, I'll just use myself as an example, because I don't want to necessarily put you on the spot, but feel free to join me on the fire. <laughs> I, was, I was working 14 hours a week for $10 an hour. And I didn't want to work more because I hated it. And uh, my rent was $283 a month. And Oh, yeah. I forget you lived with 15 people. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, our rent was never $200 a month, you fuck. So, so. But actually, I think mine was like $800. Yeah. Anyways, it doesn't really matter. So by all accounts, you know, I was like well below what would be considered a poverty line even then 10 years ago, let alone now. Mm-hmm. But like, okay, so this is where we're going to get heady. But anyway, so like I was making like a hundred times more money than the people in this movie is one point I'm trying to make is like as poor as you think you are, it's worse when you're brown. So one, but two, you know, one of the other things that this movie fucking discusses and one of the things that like really hits home for me is I also, turns out, one of these things that I discovered in my late life, I grew up kind of poor by like American standards, right? Um, but like, I didn't know that. You know, it's like one of those things where I like turned fucking 30 and went and did some math you know, it had some conversations with people. My like, my dad was like, "Well, when we had, when we decided to send you to school, we just sold my car and I walked to work every day." And like, that seems like really like a cute suburban anecdote. Uh-huh. But then you're like 30 and you're like, "Oh my god!" Like we were barely able to eat. My oh, yeah. dad had to sell his car in order to like work and eat. And so, the other portion of this movie that really resonates with me is the fact that when you're young and you're a kid, you don't understand. As an adult, right, as somebody who's providing for yourself or for other people, poverty is terrifying and it's crushing and not having enough money, which you never have. You never have enough money, no matter how much fucking money you have. Um, it really does consume more of your life than it's worth consuming, but you just have to focus on it. Mm. And as a child, you could have literally no money and it is, that, that issue is like completely independent from your happiness. Yeah. It is a non-connected issue. You're like, I'm hungry. This is a fact. Still having a good day. You know, it's like, there's no tether to your sort of like financial status as a kid. And I think that's another thing that this movie, like when you see each of these individual characters handle their situation, you learn a lot about what that really means. But anyway, yeah. So so, yeah, like the relatability of it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. But long story short, white people don't know how poor you actually can be. I'm glad you hit the relatability right away because that's the part that I think is so self-evident. And I guess, look, the thing I'm just kind of afraid of saying here, but let's talk about what's really going on because I do think it's okay to talk about. You watch this movie, 
And if you're you or I or probably anybody who exists in 2021 and is sitting around like streaming a movie like this mm-hmm. in their free time, mm-hmm. you have enough free time to watch a movie, which you can beam into your house on cable, uh, internet. Yep. <laughs> so the place that these people live is probably pretty fucking alien to you. Yes. You know? Yeah. And I really think the the whole thing with this movie to me is I turn on the movie and I go, I don't identify with this. This might as well be another planet. For sure. It's another time, another place, a life I've never known. And then I sit up and I I go, okay, well, like, what is their life and what do they do? And then I go, damn, that's all the same stuff. Mm-hmm. There's the same struggles. That's the same. There's this, there's this inclusivity thing that like exists in American Hollywood right now that like everybody loves to talk about and champion and holy shit, like Jordan Peele makes horror movies and were there even any white people in us and blah, 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 blah. And like, sure, great. Look how many, you know, Candyman, right? Is this triumph of black horror cinema. Super cool movie. But like the thing that, that you're kind of making me think about that I think is super important and we should all be ashamed of ourselves is like we're sitting, I went to the movies to see Shang-Chi in the theater and I'm like, well, look, if there's no white people in this movie, there's like two white people or something. I don't know. But the movie like painstakingly goes, but Asians are white people too. That's kind of the tone. Mm. And there's so, so there's, there's unlike Pather Panchali, which is my point here, there's sort of this like hand holding to the like general white audience as we're talking about inclusivity in American cinema, right? Mm. It's like, well, we want the, Asian Pacific Islander community to identify with Shang-Chi, but not so much that we alienate our built-in white people audience. It is tough though, because that's exactly what I was talking about with, I mean, I hadn't seen this movie and probably because every time you brought it up, I sort of went, okay, is this something I'm interested in? Let's check it out. Okay, 50s, I don't live there. Mm-hmm. India, I've never been there. I don't know what I this is. I don't know is. what the words of the title mean. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't pronounce. what. What's so fucking tricky about this one is it looks so pronounceable. Yes. I'm just not. Random <laughs> consonants. I'm not uh, yep. qualified to look at or talk Panther patchouli. Yeah, exactly. It's just the worst. I am terrible. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it. Part of it is, um, it's a double-edged sword, man. Because you gotta, you gotta get people to show up and take the challenge. And I just wanted to be really frank about how difficult that can be, even for somebody like myself who's actively looking for movies. That I mean, how many movies do we watch on the show that like? actively hate the audience, have disdain for the audience, right. try to alienate the audience. And this one is just nice little movie from the 50s, you know, doing some profound stuff, things I really relate to. And I look at it and I just go, oh, I don't know if this is for me. Mm-hmm. And I think getting over that is hard. It isn't. Yeah. It isn't though. Like It isn't hard or it isn't for me. It's not for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not for you. But like, who fucking cares, dude? Like, That's one of the things that I like the most about this movie, I think, is like in addition to, you know, obviously there's like insane levels of craftsmanship that go into this movie, right? Like we've said it already on the show, but it's very important to me from a from a film craftsmanship standpoint alone. This movie is just something that is just you have to it has to be seen to be believed. And then you get into like the actual like storytelling and themes, which is just like this whole other fucking layer of density. 
But I think that the thing that this movie just, it's so cool because we watch a lot of foreign cinema. Like you and I, even from a programming perspective, constantly have to remind ourselves, yo, we just made, we made Podmanity read for three weeks in a row. Yeah. Like we don't give a shit if it's witches, but if it's like French witches, it's like, (laughs) okay, hold on. Sure. So that's one of the things that even when we, a lot of times when we talk about foreign cinema, right? Uh, When we talk about um, somebody like Bong Joon-ho or um, when we cover like Swedish cinema or, you know, Italian cinema, obviously all these older movies, French cinema, those are movies that reach us because of their sort of broad appeal as far as like identifiability goes. And it's because this movie, it's twofold, right? It's because this movie, one, takes place in India, a place wildly underrepresented in cinema, and B, takes place in not a city. So the second you remove the oh, concrete, yeah. Yeah. you and I both go, where am I? Why is there so much dirt? <laughs> right, right. There's parts of America where I'm like, I don't know. This movie's not for me. It's in the flyover state. Right. So I don't know what to do. <laughs> so this is getting me out of my comfort zone. Can You know, I could be really picky about it. But you know what's kind of cool about that is, and I've noticed this, I mean, I've, I noticed it with uh, French movies, and I've talked to you a little about this on the show, but the DIY spirit of like independent horror, I feel like no one really, no one I ever knew from that that group of uh, present-day filmmakers mm-hmm. really dug into French cinema the way I seem to be obsessed with it. And I, I see this kinship between what happens in scrappy DIY filmmaking and French independent cinema when it was, you know, a bunch of young kids picking up cameras with no money and going and making stories no one had ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And what's cool is, you know, that didn't just happen one time in history in France. I think it actually happens every time another country gets a hold of the democratization of filmmaking. So, you know, what we're also seeing with this movie is first-time filmmakers. I mean, first, you know, non-actors, people who are around but were not actors. They're in the movie. They're great. And you get the usual kind of bursts of like, how did the director get these actors to be awesome when they had never thought about acting before? You know, how did they, basically, how did they accomplish this? And then you're also seeing the kind of fresh eyes of um, of a director. You know, the way the story's told in this, like this is a movie that is a lot less structure and a lot more like, um, you know, like impulse or instinct. Yeah. You know, yeah. it kind of just- content movie, yeah. It goes from, okay, we're on this, this is what's going on, and then we move on to this other thing, or they'll cut to these inserts- these um, like kind of nature inserts or these mood inserts that are very, you know, we'll be in a river, we'll be in a meadow and we'll kind of have a little chapter of what's going on in the characters' lives and then we'll sort of cut to a rainstorm or we'll sort of be, it adds this kind of punctuation to the movie that isn't, I mean, this is not, um, you know, beaten in template filmmaking. This is pretty wild. Right. And it makes the movie feel different and adds all of these kind of, uh, I don't know, the whole movie, what was interesting to me about the tone of the film is that it's got this meditative way about it where like all the things you were describing about them being commonplace, 
it's not a melodramatic movie, you know, especially right. from the kid's point of view. Totally. It's very, you're just kind of like, it's very observant, mm-hmm. you know, it's very, um, and mixed in with the naturalism of the movie, I feel like that really leaves the viewer to connect the pieces and, and forces the audience to go, wow, this is fucking brutal. Do you guys in the movie not realize how brutal what's right. happening is? So true. And you're yes. seeing it from the kid's eyes and he's just sort of like, you know, it's not that it doesn't connect with him, but it's just sort of how life is. Yeah. And there there seems to be this sort of natural cycle feeling. I mean, I thought about that a lot actually with the inserts, right? Because it's like we we constantly see the earth you know, like nature is carrying on in this movie as the characters are getting just beaten in the face by all these obstacles, by old age, by everything that's going on. Even for, you know, the bleakness being commonplace, it's still really bleak. And then we cut back and like the river's still running. And then we cut back and some more people are dying. We cut there again. It's like, Time for a little rainstorm. It just, uh, I don't know, you feel the fucking rotation of the earth in this movie. And you have to, uh, you probably have to credit a lot of that for it being the sort of, um, you know, a new, for cinema being so fresh, for it being, uh, Mm -hmm. there's the fucking word again, for filmmaking being so fresh to them, for this being so many people who weren't, you know, lifelong filmmakers. Right. So how do we move into Kajillionaire from here? Oh, that's easy because you were talking about how um, how the 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 setting and story of Pather Panchali might as well take place on a different planet, and so we'll just jump right into a movie made by a person from a different planet. Oh, you want to talk about Miranda July right away? I mean, I think that it's. I think you want to talk about context, like you and I. We we start watching Miranda July, and we know where we are. We know what fucking. What we know what to expect, but I think you know, I think there is a world in which somebody watches Pather Panchali and goes, Okay, okay, I see what this is doing. And then they they put on Kajillionaire or anything, uh, they put on a, a live stream of Miranda July eating breakfast and just go, I'm so lost. Yeah, Miranda July is like a uh, a known unknown or something, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. this, it's this sort of like. I want to go on record and just fucking another breath of fresh air, Miranda July. You know, movies like this, we don't get um, we don't get a year after year movie from Miranda July. Mm-mm. We get one that comes in and kicks the door down and shows you enough stuff to like really revisit over and over for you know five ten years mm-hmm. before you even need another one. I feel like there is so much in Kajillionaire to dissect and it uh, it sort of just like layers itself or abstracts itself in such a way that it could be a little hard to totally know what you're... It's absurd, you know, it's surreal. Yep. So this is what, this is a movie about, let's say it's a movie about a family. Let's say it's a movie about a person. Mm-hmm. Um, daughter of con artists. Mm-hmm. who needs to come up with some money for rent and her scheme is not thwarted, but let's say kind of um, a wrench is thrown into pl- her plans when her con artist parents befriend a rando. Mm-hmm. And that starts her odyssey. I don't know. There's a, there's a fucking log line in there somewhere, but uh, 
This is a movie that feels like a lot of mystery. You spend a lot of time going like, okay, so exactly what am I looking at here? And what are the rules? And what am I even supposed to be uh, looking out for? But fuck, man, I was just thinking before we started the show, like, okay, so what are the themes of this movie? You know, we kind of have the 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 parents and her and and this other girl that enters in. But then as I started to catalog the themes, like there's a lot going on in here. Yeah, no. Like a lot. It's a it's a super it's a, another super dense movie. Once again you start dealing with these themes of like identity, you start dealing with the theme of not knowing anything outside the world your parents have put you in. The sort of wariness of outsiders coming bearing gifts um constantly just you know this the not not the physical literal paycheck to paycheck but just not knowing where your next meal is going to come from or where your next eight rupees are going to turn up from yeah that's actually a good place to start i mean like let's look at the picture of society right because i think that's the first thing that if i could have cemented I mean, have the experience of just watching this movie cold. Just have it and enjoy it. But if I could, uh, you know, if I had to give myself some clues going back in, the first thing that I'd want to look at is like, okay, so the picture of society is going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm feeling a lot of that like, sorry to bother you kind of vibe where, oh, movies are actually talking about the real sort of capitalistic picture of what life is like. This is not glamorous Hollywood LA. This is, I got to pay my fucking rent, you know, extreme end of the spectrum. But we got to go find $500 somehow to get by. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, you know, that's just like a lot more realistic. I mean, you want to talk about some naturalism, like that should really ground the movie if it wasn't so fucking weird. Right. So now we have this this view of society that is about like just survival, which I think so many people have felt in the last couple of years. And there's one theme, but these aren't like scratch the surface themes either. That's the other thing that's wild to me is everything you just listed off. I mean, none of it is just like, oh, it plays with this. It invokes this theme and then runs away. Like the society view is you know, the entire kind of logline of the movie, you could take a look at it that is just like, these people have to come up with cons to survive. That's the, what are we going to do in the movie? You're going to watch them do sort of little con after con to get the money because they have to survive. That's a whole read of the movie. And so every plot beat could be filtered through that. But then we leave that to the side. And, you know, you mentioned parenting. Like, it's not just her relationship with her parents, but look how many, like, how many scenes you could attach parenting to. Right. So, like, she has this weird relationship with her parents. The girl that joins them has a odd phone call with her mother. So that's going on. But then also, like, the classes she goes to, they're fucking about parenting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, so there's this extra thread. So, I mean, I feel like we're, we're not just kind of going up. Parenting is going to be kind of a theme and just sort of checking in and checking out. We are weaving in and out of that all the time at such a deep level that if somebody said, oh, what's conjillionaire about? It's about parenting. Then I would totally buy that read of the movie. Right. How they raised her and how they try to like re-win her, her loyalty 
and ultimately where they end up in the movie. Mm -hmm. And are they like sociopathic parents? Is that part of, you know, just part of parenting? Like where, where did they have their flaws? Do all parents have their flaws? Like all this kind of stuff. And the flip side of that being, you know, her upbringing leaves her with a lot of these weird deficits. I think some of the deficits are also what makes this movie odd is like, like what's going on with the central character? Why is she so weird? I mean, yeah, there's, it feels there's sort of like an Encino man factor. Oh yeah. Yeah. In the bunker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just feels like she's never experienced anything outside of the sudsy walls of her home. Brigsby bear. That's the one I was reaching for. I think, uh, I think it's, Here's another theme, but you know, if you have shitty parents, you're going to like grow around the gaps, right? Mm -hmm. So things like interpersonal, especially, you know, this, if interpersonal skills, like your ability to communicate with humans is probably bad. Yeah. Sexuality is just not something that would ever surface, especially if you don't have like pop culture references, you know, like when we did cuties and everybody's like, why do I want to fuck these girls? We need to get rid of this movie. Um, Super weird. (laughs) All of society had a problem with their upbringing that they weren't talking about. Right. Nobody showed him a good Harmony Corinne movie when they were young and set him right, you know? If if you're not exposed to like how boys have like a normal bat Halloween costume and girls have like a fuckable bat Halloween costume, like then you never really get these sort of like gender roles don't present themselves. This is sort of like Morgan Freeman's don't tell kids about racism theory. If you never tell kids, if we stop talking about racism, eventually kids will stop being racist, which is utter bullshit but you know in the idea in yeah because there's also a law that if you just want to attribute something to a famous person you pick morgan freeman and no one will check you on it so um but yeah it's uh it's it's definitely that um you know you without any social exposure if you're only exposed to your two shitty parents how are you supposed to like become a full person the big first scene where I know something is tangibly wrong with our character that is not just the world is when she's going to get a massage and she just sort of like recoils. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a real, um, again, I use a word like tangible because there's a lot of stuff going on in the movie where you're kind of like, I don't know, do ceilings just leak foam? Is this real? Is this surreal? What's going on? <laughs> But we get a moment like that. I'm like, oh, okay. So she's got some damage. Mm-hmm. This is a, we're actually talking about this here. And then we see how she relates to this other character and how she sort of like yells at her for giving her funny feelings inside. You know, like mm-hmm. so she's got. She, and then even in the classes, we're sort of learning about the like lack of love, lack of intimacy. She's got intimacy problems. Mm-hmm. And so well, she has she has human problems. She struggles to do anything a person, you know. When well, yeah, it's like dependency it, too. She's she's a functional robot. She's a functional robot. She has a role and she plays it. She doesn't have the skills to be a human being because she was abused to the point where her parents only used her for her utility. Yeah, her parents are interesting too because they tell you. Again, if you follow the society read of the movie, 
then this is about people who just like, this is what society's come to and you just have to do whatever you need to to get the 500 bucks to live in your crappy foam apartment. But when we see them get the money, the first thing, you know, the whole thing is like, we're just trying to get by. We're just trying to survive. We're just trying to survive. This is what we have to do. And I go along with that and just identify with it. I'm like, okay, this is a filmmaker talking about very familiar trying to get by problems. But then as soon as they get the money, without any fanfare, they go and just spend it on just nothing, vanity. Right. So it's right. like, ah, thank God we solved the plot of the movie. You know, we had to get the money to, mm-hmm. we had to raise the money to save the record store. Mm-hmm. And they do like, you get the money and you're just like, cool pants, I'll buy those. Right. <laughs> oh, a hot tub, we need that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the movie does it without even really stopping down to go, and then they made the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like, wait a second, where did all that fucking money, oh, wait, you're psychopaths. Right. You just don't know how to, be alive at all you just don't right like none of this is registering it feels like there's been sort of a perpetuation where you know that's that's another that's another piece of this puzzle that you, i really identify with as an individual who was raised in a church and you know then decided that that was fucking dumb is like it feels like there's this sort of perpetuation in the movie where in all likelihood, her parents were also probably raised by failures of parents Mm -hmm. and they weren't taught things like social skills or things like financial plan. You know, like how, you know, that like meme that everybody thinks is fucking original and hilarious. We're like, Oh, well I learned how to do math, but nobody ever taught me about taxes like that bullshit. But for real, that's like what this movie is a little bit talking about is like, so you, I, I think, I, I don't think that it would be out of bounds to assume that her parents were also raised by shitty parents and they themselves were raising another potential shitty parent. Yeah. Yeah. Until suddenly somebody go, somebody comes along to their fucking IHOP and goes, what if there is no God? And then all of a sudden. <laughs> You're right. It does hit close to home. And then suddenly that person's whole life has changed. But the, the, the end result is a better person. You break this, you know, cycle of abuse, right? That's the phrase that people are probably, people love talking about cycles of abuse. And, uh, and this movie also manages to deal with that and, and tactfully, not in like a, not in like a fucking Hallmark channel way. Well, yeah, I love the breakthroughs in this movie because it is a, it's a kind of, deliberate injection of an outside element that goes, oh, this new person has wandered in and that's what shakes things up. That's what causes, and you see in these really vivid, great scenes, you know, one of my favorite blackout movie scenes of all time, walk in the bathroom, turn the light off, and you just get the two little like weird exposure dots that turn into a bunch of stars and this fucking epiphany during the big one, mm-hmm. during the great earthquake. <laughs> you do feel the character is having a breakthrough that is unforgettable in the way that the movie portrays it. And that's a big turning point for her. But you still have, once the character knows, okay, I want to change things. I've got a different outlook on life. Like everything has changed from now on. You still have to question the motives of, now I'm seeing the whole world differently but what exactly does that mean? You know, like her relationship with her parents, right? Like she goes back 
And she kind of goes like, oh, so my parents aren't on the level and I shouldn't be dependent on them and I'm going to sleep on this girl's floor, but like, can I trust anything they say? Mm -hmm. And what level are they operating on, right? Are they like conning me really deeply or do they do they feel remorse? And I think at that point, once you've kind of learned, the mystery about the world is starting to dissipate. We've sat with the movie long enough that like we kind of get the reality of what's going on. And the mystery of you know, where it's going and, and what's going to happen next. Like we, we start to understand, okay, these are the, if we know the real world of the movie and we know the events that are actually taking place, like we're wrapping those mysteries up. And I think the last thing that's left is, so now we, we know our setting and our players and everything that's going on. So who's lying and at what level are they lying? How are they operating? And the movie's pacing is just so good about that too because it just gives you enough scenes to go like, okay, so what are the true intentions here? And then what's going to happen as a result? And then just that fucking great closing in the, uh, in the store, which is so good. Fucking kajillionaire, man. Like, I don't know why I didn't see this the second it came out. I feel the same way. I think because Miranda July, like, as time goes by, I just go, oh, yeah, Miranda July, yeah, she's kind of strange. Yeah. And that's all I remember. Yeah. And then I see the movies and I'm just like, oh, fuck, I should really, like, revisit these I'll, a lot. I'll go on record here and and say on on the show what I said to you when we were discussing putting kajillionaire on the show. I, I said something, I don't remember verbatim, fortunately, but I said something along the lines of, I just want some like artsy millennial bullshit movie like a Miranda July movie. Uh. Was like what I said I was looking for at the time. Not not for this pair, but we were talking about like what type of programming do we want? Like what are we missing? And I said something along the lines of, you know, some some self-important art flick that you know thinks it's more important than it is and and i specifically named miranda july and then i went and watched kajillionaire because when directors you know put out movies you just go see them like cry macho and uh i'm so sorry and um and then i you know it kajillionaire ended and i'm like i'm a fucking moron i know this movie is so good. Miranda July is so good. And I don't know what stick I had up my ass, but it firmly got, she wrenched it out of my anus with Kajillionaire. Yeah. Well, uh, I really, and I feel stupid, but I did want to go on record so that I could feel stupid publicly. Shame. I blame the, uh, the time and place where we came into independent film on that because you and I are both very on guard for like quirky <laughs> movies. Yes. We had a, some more conversation about Wes Anderson yep. where it was just like, this is a total auteur who has great vision. Why do we look at these movies and go like, mm, I don't know though, might be too cute. Yep. And it's like, well, Kajillionaire is so much, it is three times as much substance to it as the average movie. It's just crazy how many mm -hmm. we could have spent the whole time talking about any one theme and just like dissecting the fuck out of it. So good. But we didn't. We have to leave next time on the show. Oh, and I want to thank, by the way, Charles Crawford, Ben Ecker, Brad Parker, and Joachim Vernon for giving us enough rope to hang the 
Patreon Oof. on. I'm not really sure where this metaphor is going, but it's all right. They gave us um, just enough breathing room on the show where we could keep going long enough to do Cajillionaire and Pather Pinchali. There you go. Pen- Pinchali is a close. Yeah, you got it. No, that was really good. And if you didn't watch these movies, I encourage you to. Look, movies are accessible. Just watch movies. It's fine. It's fine. You don't have to get them 100%. Just watch them. You'll understand them more than before you watched them. When you sit down and you think you can't watch, you can't possibly watch a whole movie and you're about to put on a 22-minute TV show, I promise you two hours later, you're still going to be sitting there. Just put a movie on. Just put a movie on. All right. You'll get more out of it We'll put than reruns of New Girl. Very true. We will put two movies on next time. Yeah. What are the movies? We're going to do Alejandro Jodorowsky's El Topo. El Topo. The godfather of the acid western. And then we're going to pair that with actually a director that Michael's uncomfortable with. So we're both going to be slightly uncomfortable. Jim Jarmusch and his uh, his Johnny Depp the vehicle. <laughs> Dead, I don't know why I'm doing this. Dead man. Johnny Depp vehicle. What are you... <laughs> Can I tell you something I learned about this movie that has me a little more excited about this? Okay. And I just found this out recently. Uh, maybe hypocritical. I'm sure we'll have plenty of other stuff to talk about next time. But just to uh, to spring a little interest here, I recently heard that, and actually this was in New York, that El Topo was the original midnight movie. Wow. That this was the first midnight movie that eventually kicked off things like, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show at the Waverly. So we're going we're gonna to go back and look at the acid western that started it all, the movie that could only be shown at midnight, El Topo, and then uh, Dead Man, which I think is a lot more than Johnny Depp, but it is very weird that he's in it. Yeah. Um, all right. So, you know, let's do some acid western next week. Watch more fucking film. Bye.